This is Dr. Karen, and you're listening to the DeFacto Leaders Podcast on the Bee Podcast Network, where I help pediatric therapists and educators become better leaders so they can make a bigger impact with their services. With over 15 years of experience supporting school-age kids with diverse learning needs, I'll share up-to-date evidence-based practices, my own experiences, and guest interviews designed to help clinicians, teachers, and aspiring school leaders feel more confident in the way they serve their students and clients. I'll cover a range of topics designed to help you support students' emotional and academic growth and set kids up for success in adulthood, including how to support language, literacy, executive functioning, as well as how to help IEP teams working together to support kids across the day. Whether you want to learn more effective strategies for your therapy sessions or classroom, be a more influential leader on your team, or find creative ways to use your skills to advance in your career, I've got you covered. Hey there, it's Dr. Karen, and welcome to episode 144 of the DeFacto Leaders Podcast. Many people working in K-12 education have ambitions to start their own company where they have the ability to redesign the way student learning happens. The motivation often comes from wanting to create a scenario where they feel less constrained, more innovative, and more impactful. When I ventured into self-employment, I found that many of the how to start your business programs focused on simple business models that allowed people without a business background to become profitable quickly without loans or funding. This often included things like coaching and consulting or things that could be built up on the side, like selling online training or products. These can be great options, but the process is often like peeling back the layers of an onion. You start one project thinking, once this is built, I'll have solved all the problems I set out to solve. But in the process, you realize you've uncovered a list of additional puzzles, challenges, and questions in the process. Anyone who cares about education reform understands this feeling of wanting to do more, something that I grapple with on a daily basis. Solving problems in education requires a unique skill set, and I found it difficult to find people who understand both business and education who can support educators creating their own program from scratch. Private practice is an option many consider, but not as many people think about founding their own school. And that's why I invited Tanya Sheckley to the DeFacto Leaders podcast. Tanya is the founder and head of school at Up Academy. Up Academy is reinventing education by customizing learning for each student, integrating project-based learning throughout its curriculum, and supporting students with disabilities to attend alongside able-bodied students in mixed-age classrooms. Inspired by the will, drive, and desire of her daughter, Eliza, who was born in 2009 with cerebral palsy, Up Academy is proving that it's possible to celebrate differences, change what's broken in the American school system, and provide all children with a rigorous, well-rounded education. Tanya also hosts the Rebel Educator podcast, speaks across the country on the future of education, and leads professional development programs for school administrators and educators. In this conversation, we discuss how to become a school founder and blending the right mindset and the right strategies. How much vulnerability can you show to your team? Where can you go for support when your team needs you to show up confident as a leader? What is project-based learning and how does it fit in with traditional curriculum? How do you use experiential learning to build deep conceptual knowledge that's engaging for students and teaches real-life application? And we wrap up with the homework debate. How do we distinguish between unproductive busy work versus when it's helpful to do work outside of school? Before we get going, I wanted to talk about the School of Clinical Leadership, my program that helps related service providers design services that support executive functioning in K-12 settings. A huge theme in this conversation is about universal design for learning and project-based learning, both which really support executive functioning. 
And I have found that when I was in the related service provider position, even though I was thinking about support for students who had been identified for special education, I found that it was difficult to figure out how to support those students without thinking about the bigger picture of the curriculum. It's really difficult to address problems at tier three without addressing the issues at tier one. Many times when you put supports in place across the entire curriculum, what happens is that not only are the students getting special ed services, able to have improved accessibility and be more successful when they're in their classrooms, but a lot of those things that we can put in place where their needs and necessary for certain students are actually beneficial for all students. And while certain students do need specific focus intervention that addresses things like language and executive functioning, a lot of this work can be beneficial for all students and can be a really important proactive measure. And I show related service providers how to put some of these supports in place in the program. To check out the School of Clinical Leadership, go to drkarendudakbrannon.com backslash clinical leadership to learn how you can become a member. Now, please enjoy this conversation with Tanya Sheckley. Today, I am joined by Tanya Sheckley, the head of school and founder at Up Academy, as well as the host of the Rebel Educator podcast. So thank you so much for being here with me today. Thanks for having me, Karen. I'm excited to have this conversation. Yeah, so I thought we would start off by having you share a little bit about yourself. I know that the first part of the conversation we wanted to talk about about Up Academy and just um, just your experience there and what you've been able to do. Sure. So we launched Up Academy in 2018, but really the idea for it came years before that. Um, my oldest daughter had cerebral palsy. And so looking for the right educational fit for her uh, was a challenge. She was very intelligent, she's curious, she's social, um, but she was also non-ambulatory and non-verbal. And so we spent you know, the first five years of her life going through working with different agencies all over the world, looking at feeding, uh, looking at neurodevelopment, looking at neuroplasticity, looking at how children learn and how young children learn and child development. Um, and then it came time to put her into school and we were looking for the right place. And we didn't really find what we were looking for. Um, you know, we wanted some place that was going to support her independence, was going to give her the therapeutics that we knew was helping her to grow and get stronger. But we also wanted a really strong academic support and academic background. Uh, especially as you know, during that point in time. So my daughter was born in 2009. This was around 2015. And I was going to uh, conferences on neurogaming and just seeing what was possible with interfaces and understanding that if she had a proper education, she was going to have the ability to be anything that she wanted to. Um, we we're doing surgeries by you know, robotics and able to play video games with just mind control. And all of that was only going to grow. So I wanted to make sure we found the right spot for her. Um, so we were talking to all of our schools and we didn't find what we were looking for. We did end up enrolling her in public school um, and we had amazing teachers uh, and got really lucky there and learned a ton about project-based learning and inclusion mm -hmm. through that experience, um, but still knew that we wanted something different. And so the the idea behind Up Academy started to be born as I was talking with other families and talking about how as a family with a child with special needs, all the different therapists and all the different appointments and all the different drop-offs for the kids to be in different schools and different places so that everybody could get what they need. And really having a conversation around what if there was one place where our students could all get what they needed to be supported and successful. Mm -hmm. And what would that look like if we created that in an educational environment? How could we create a space that was as equitable as we could possibly make it 
create universal accommodations and design so that it was accessible for all of our students and create an educational experience where everyone could thrive and grow. Uh, and so that was the basis of launching Up Academy. And we we actually opened our doors in 2018 and welcomed our, our first group of students. And now we're going into year five, now in 2023. Uh, and it's really grown into be a very experiential, project-based learning environment that serves a neurodiverse population and a wide variety of learning profiles. So... I mean, I have so many questions about that. Um, as we were talking before, I know a lot of a lot of people who might be listening, you know, if they are if they're in the public schools and they want to figure out a way to provide services in a way that's different than what they're able to offer in the public schools. Uh, maybe it's because of, you know, funding, caseload, resources, all of those types of things. Um, a lot of times they think about starting a private practice and contracting with schools, but I know that something that doesn't come up as much is just creating your own school. So um, like, where do you even start to figure out how to do that? So I'm going to answer your question in two different ways. I'm going to okay. share a little bit about my journey and how yeah. we figured it out. And then I'm also going to share with you that as a school and as a school leader, we're now launching an affiliate network that actually does exactly that and helps oh, parents and educators open schools like ours all over the world. Um, but for my journey, so my my background is in business. I have an MBA um, in entrepreneurship. And so I, I knew that I wanted to do something different than what I was doing working in corporate America um, and had been looking at launching several different types of businesses, um, launching a uh, marketing and consulting business launching. I had a yoga teaching business where I worked with corporations and companies and taught yoga. Um, I looked at um, launching a, a business and a company that I called Gear for Girls. And this was back before there were, uh, before there was Title IX and before there was Athleta, mm -hmm. um, focused on athletic wear and athletic equipment specifically for women. Um, being a mountain biker and a snowboarder, I found that I had to go to, you know, 18 different stores where they all carried one women specific thing that I could look at. <laughs> that um, sounds familiar. And so, <laughs> yes. And so how do we create that all in one place, um, which more companies have done in the years since then. So I knew I wanted to do something entrepreneurial. Um, and for the other aspiring entrepreneurs out there, there's lots of failures before you find the thing that actually yeah. works. <laughs> so I've just that's described a, a few of mine. <laughs> um, and so when my daughter was born, um, I had no background in education, but I learned a ton the first five years of her life. And uh, in many ways, having no background in education has helped me because I didn't have any of the preconceived notions or barriers around what education was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. uh, we could just start solely and cleanly from the perspective of how do we best support our students? What do they need to thrive throughout the day? And how do we create that environment that's really defined by helping our students thrive? Um and so we've had the opportunity to do that. So, you know, from there, it was, you know, business setup, filing the paperwork. How mm -hmm. do we want to be incorporated? Are we a nonprofit? Are we a for-profit? Who is on our board of directors? How do we bring that group of people together who has strengths that are opposite minds so that we can all bring something that the new organization is going to need to make it successful and thrive together? Mm -hmm. um, how do we find space? What kind of space are we looking for? We knew we weren't looking for a school building. You can't create a new kind of school in an old school building. Yeah, um, you can, but it's more challenging. <laughs> um, and so what kind of space are we looking for and how do we find that space? And being in the Bay Area, that was the biggest challenge was real estate. Um, it's expensive and yeah. the zoning is strict. Um, so working through working through those issues, um, and then fundraising and funding, uh, which is ongoing, as mm -hmm. any nonprofit or school leader knows, <laughs> that is a ongoing process of development. Um, and then finding the right staff. You know, I I didn't have a background in education, and so it was really important that I find 
really strong educators who are also entrepreneurial minded and excited about creating and developing not only curriculum and experiences for students, but a program and a methodology that we could share with the world. Yeah, that is. So I, as a person who did the opposite, where I did have the education and clinical background and then tried to learn the business as I was figuring it out, um, it just some of those things that you said, I mean, we don't, we don't learn how to do that. Like we don't learn how to do uh, a board of directors and funding and just even just how a business works that you would, you would learn if you had a business background. I've always found that really challenging and it's so common now, like once you sign up for somebody's business course, then they all start targeting you on Facebook and then you get bombarded with all of these different people who are experts. And it's always really hard to know who to follow. And a lot of times people are, will teach you an easy business model that is, allows you to bootstrap instead of raise funding, which is what I did. Um, And a lot of times people will recommend a coaching model or consultation because you can, you have low overhead. But I know that from my perspective, I didn't always find a lot of those models that appealing because I felt like, you know, again, there's, there's the impact issue where if you are going to work with students and really create, like really build something, sometimes you do have to consider other business models that require something more complicated. And I always found that really frustrating where it was like, just, you know, create a $5,000 coaching package and, you know, do this consult and then leave. And and that always kind of bothered me. And I'm not saying that I think that um, people who do consultations are not helping people, but it wasn't, I always felt a little conflicted about that, where it's like, you're not building something and, and staying there. You're kind of just, you know, consulting and then it, it just feels different to me. I don't know. <laughs> That's been my frustration. Yeah, no, I I hear you definitely. And I've, I think a lot of those do have something to offer. And as long as you know exactly what you're looking for right. and what you want to get out of it, that some of those programs can be a good investment. Oh yeah, um, for sure. I, I absolutely believe in the power of coaching and mm-hmm. having a yeah. mentor especially as being a small school leader, it can be really, really lonely. Um, Uh Both because I'm building a business and there's not a lot of people within the education network to look to for support for that. Mm -hmm. Um, But also because I'm I'm leading a group of people and building a community of families. And there's also not a lot of people that you can lean on and kind of vent with or share your, Mm -hmm. your troubles or your concerns or your problems where you're not necessarily like commiserating and looking for, you know, misery loves company sort of thing, but you're looking for help in solving those problems. Um, and you can't always talk to your team who is looking to you for leadership about those challenges. So having another group that you can reach out to and lean on is super important. Um, and so bringing those things together is part of what we're doing with um, with Project Up. So the website yeah. is called projectup.us. Um, we're building an affiliate network of educators, parents, and school leaders who want to um, launch schools like ours, create schools like ours, or have a culture shift in an existing school to an inclusive project-based learning environment. Um, And there's a few different things we're doing with that. I lead a group called Rebel Leaders. Um, As you mentioned, my podcast is Rebel Educator. So things are are Rebel branded. Uh, I lead a group called Rebel Leaders that is for that small school leader pain point of, hey, Mm -hmm. I'm all alone on an island and I need someone to help me solve problems. Because there are other leaders out there who have the same problems or who have already solved the same problem that you have. And so Mm -hmm. how do we connect those people and work together? but also a huge part of the vision of launching up academy was to create a methodology of education that could be recreated uh, in other places around the world we're a micro school we can only touch and help and support so many families within our environment so how do we amplify that 
Um, and that's where the affiliate network comes in, where we are supporting new founders, creating a community where founders can ask all those questions. There's monthly consulting and community calls to come in, ask questions, get support, connect with other leaders, hear what other people are working on, see how you can support them because there's a ton of value in that yeah. as well. As we know through project-based learning, right? We learn and then we do and then by teaching is how we really understand. So creating that same sort of model within school leaders and school founders um, and supporting them through the you know, how do I launch a business? What does this look like? How do I write financials? What does a PL look like? How do I hire people? How do I know if I've made the right hires? How do I know when it's the right time to fire someone? When do I bring in insurance? Like all of these, you know, seemingly smaller questions, but as an entrepreneur and as a business leader, these, this stuff comes up, you know, weekly. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. sometimes daily. Uh, but having, you know, an organization to look to, you know, we have operations manuals, we have all the basic contracts, which of course need to be looked at by, by your own lawyer in your own state, but we have a framework for you to start with and to work off of for, you know, enrollment and for educators and for, you know, just working within a business model. And like I mm -hmm. said, the operations manual and just background and experience on how to do this. Um, and I'd run... I'd also run a course, I ran it a few times called the Rebel Educator Accelerator. And that was a similar thing. And it was a six week, essentially get your education program up and running. And I went through business plan and marketing plan and real estate and what can I effectively manage and what do I need to outsource? Because uh, we can't do everything. It's just yeah. not possible. <laughs> that is very hard to do. And again, um, like like you were saying before that it is really, you know, it's really hard to have that community. Um, and I found that challenging as well. You know, I've talked to, to my husband about this, who, who has a corporate job and like, you know, have, have said it is really lonely when you're the one that's, you know, you're, you're supposed to be leading and yes, you have people you work with, but that's a different kind of relationship when you are somebody's leader versus, you, you want to be vulnerable and you're struggling with something and you need someone to just talk to and, and help you strategize. Um, it is, it is a very different kind of interaction that you need. And I think it is kind of hard to get that. But the other thing that's kind of challenging is that when you're trying to find the right place to get that, that coaching and that support that a lot of times people I've, I found that they give sort of this broad, um, I guess, mindset advice, which mindset is very important, but then there is that, that actual operations knowledge that you need to apply to it, where there are real tangible decisions and actions that you need to make. And it just, you need both. You need this nice blend of thinking about things the right way with actual strategy. And I have found that really hard in the education field, because a lot of the consulting that I have come across is it's like business owners helping or online business owners helping other online business owners grow their online businesses. Like it's hard to find people who really understand both business and education and the, the real issues that are that people are dealing with. And the whole idea of founding a school is I mean, it's different because you are actually creating something and it's, you know, it's a different model. So, yeah, I think that's something that a lot of people would, that a lot of people listening would be very interested in. I found the same thing uh, when I've worked with different mentorship groups and leadership groups. And I've, I've been in some that are much more thought led yeah. <laughs> for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been in some that are much more strategy led. Mm -hmm. um, but again, it's, you know, one was a, a women's leadership group that I learned a ton from the majority of the people there are coaches and consultants, um, which is great, but those aren't brick and mortar businesses that have yeah. the same issues and challenges mm -hmm. that I have. Um, and another, which is a group for entrepreneurs and they're all brick and mortar businesses, um, but none of them are schools. And yeah. so it's, there's similar challenges, but also different because they're, they have a lot more levers to pull in their business when you have goods that you're selling and products that you're creating. And you can look at cost of goods and distribution and producers mm -hmm. and 
all of those things that I really don't have. Like we're essentially selling a service. Um, and so, but we're not really a service-based business because yeah. it's, it's a school. <laughs> and so right. it is a very Different. unique niche when you're looking for support and mentorship. Yeah. Well, we're, so I know that we're, we wanted to get to talking about project-based learning because that is something that you do, that you do a lot of work with and training schools, but where can people go to find out about the support that you offer in helping people um, do what you've done and then also helping existing schools uh, change some of their current practices? Yeah, I mean, the easiest is to reach out to me and um, both the rebeleducator.com website that okay. has information on the Rebel Leader Program um, and the projectup.us website okay. that has more information on the affiliate network. Um, and since we're a small organization, all of those emails and connections and calendar invites will all come to me from either of those websites. <laughs> Great. Well, uh, yeah, like it, this is just... Um, like I said, I know that there's a lot of people who just have these big visions and these big ideas, but then it's just figuring out a tangible plan to make it feel like it's possible. I think that there's so many people who want to do things, but they don't get started because they don't know where, like, what's the first step? Like, how do I see, how do I see the light at the end of the tunnel and making this happen? <laughs> yep. Yep. It's a, uh... So I'm from Wisconsin and we have lots of like idioms and adages in the Midwest, um, yeah. but it's kind of how you eat an elephant. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's one bite at a time. And so, yeah. And that's part of what we do. Like, it's super exciting to think up all the ideas and then how do you figure out how and where to start and how do you get started? And the short answer is as long as you do one thing every day, that's going to advance your idea and your vision, even if it's out of order, you're learning, you're growing, and you're developing the thing that you want to see happen in the world. Mm -hmm. And that one thing every day, even though, you know, we're, we're kind of programmed to be uber productive and programmed to think, oh, if I didn't like get up and work out at 5am and then have my coffee and then develop my whole business plan and then save the bees and then pick <laughs> up my kids from school and take them to soccer. And then, you know, in the evening work until midnight, making sure that, you know, poverty is solved, that we're not being <laughs> productive humans. And that's just not true. Like literally one thing. And at the end of a year, you've done 365 things to move your vision forward. And the impact of that is huge. And yeah. it's just about, you know, it's about starting and then it's about not stopping. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oof. That is, that is a hard, a hard um, mindset to wrap your head around, especially when we do see a lot of these like overnight success stories that, you know, where it's, it, of course, you're not, that's not really how it happened, but that's just how it looks. And um, again, the need for support where it's to actually talk to other people that are in it at the same time with these just little baby steps versus the, the social media post, like beginning to end that looked like it happened in a month when really it was probably 10 years of hard work or whatever. Um, you know, I, I always feel like everybody else has it figured out and I am the only one struggling. Like that's just always where my head goes. And I just, I think it's really important for people to, to see other, be talking to other people that are going through it at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. We are all answering questions as we go. Nobody has all the answers, you know, up Academy are, we got our 501c3 in 2015. It's 2023 now and we're five years into operation. So to your point, like it, we're eight years into this now um, and really just starting. I feel like we're still just starting yeah. because um, there's still new things every day and new challenges and new problems and it's exciting and it's fun. Um, but like I said, the, the real trick is just to keep going. Mm -hmm. like just don't stop. And <laughs> yeah. that's how you get to you know, you get to a place of creating the thing that you wanted to see in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wanted to take a quick break here to talk about the School of Clinical Leadership. Tanya and I are about to get into a conversation where we're going to discuss what project-based learning is 
and why it's such an important framework for helping students to plan long-term and understand how to execute a long-term project in a way that also helps them apply some of the basic foundational academic skills that they've learned in their curriculum. Improving executive functioning and social skills and our ability to manage time and long-term projects is such an important skill that can set us up for success in adulthood. And that's why it really needs to be something that is thought about across the entire curriculum not just for students who are identified as needing specialized services, even though for those students, it is absolutely essential. So I think the solution to this problem is twofold. Yes, we do need to make sure that we're providing services, supports, therapies for students who are getting services, but also we need to think about tier one. And I show you how to put some of those supports in place in the School of Clinical Leadership. To learn more about the program, go to drkarendudekbrennan.com backslash clinical leadership. Now let's get back to the interview. Well, I know that we wanted to talk about project-based learning. So, and this is, I know that a lot of people who are in the, you know, the, the disability space are frustrated with the standard curriculum. And, you know, I think that obviously some of the things that are more traditional, like we need to make sure that kids know how to read and they have strong literacy skills. We need to make sure that they have solid numeracy skills. And there are math skills that need to be taught in order for there to be equitable opportunity. Um, so we, we need to have those standard pieces of the curriculum, but also, the world is changing. We need to be good problem solvers, and we need to make sure that we're teaching kids those other those other skills that are more applied. And so, um, can you explain, or at least if we're if we're comparing and contrasting standard curriculum versus project based learning, can you just share a little bit about you know just some definitions? Really, I guess would be a good place to start. Yeah, that's a really good question because lots of people use the term project-based learning and it means so many different things. Mm -hmm. um, but to your point, the you know content standards are there for a reason and going you know back to the basics of reading, writing, and arithmetic, like those basic core skills do need to be taught and mastered and learned. Um, it's kind of how we're teaching them and how we're assessing them to see if we're looking for competency or mastery, or if we're just looking at a quiz and giving you a grade and moving on. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one, one piece of it. Uh, but when we look at project-based learning, we're looking at a little bit of kind of what do you do the rest of the day? Yeah. Um, and how do you incorporate an idea or a concept into your literacy and math lessons to make it really engaging and relevant for students. I know as a kid in school, two of the things that I used to say all the time were, number one, why do we have to learn this? Mm -hmm. And number two, I'm bored. Yeah. <laughs> and so if we can take those things as much as we can out of the school day and make learning engaging and relevant and interesting, our our students want to be here. School is fun. And suddenly learning becomes about the process of learning and not about getting a grade based on what I'm trying to show you that I learned. Mm -hmm. um, and part of project-based learning is to move that motivation intrinsically into, wow, this is interesting. I want to learn more. I want to read what I can about it. I want to research. I want to figure out this problem because I want to know the answer instead of oh, my teacher says I need to memorize this chart. I need to do well on this test. I need to prove to this person that I can get an A or, you know, and that's an extra extrinsic motivation. And mm -hmm. so part of it is changing that and shifting and just creating a love of learning. Um, but in a project-based approach, what we're doing um, for us, we see project-based learning as deep conceptual learning. Uh, we call our projects rebel projects. They are reimagined, empathy-based, experiential learning. Um, they are trimester-long deep dives into a concept that allow our students to really find 
what they think is interesting in that concept, follow their area of interest, and then create something that they can share with the world about what they've learned. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's what we're looking at from a a conceptual and competency and mastery-based approach is that they're creating a deliverable out of all the things that they've learned that they share with the community and their families on exhibition day uh, to show their their progress and their learning. And so we we do that through integrating it into literacy. So instead of reading in literacy about, you know, see Jane run and mm-hmm. watch Jack jump, um, if they're doing a project on civilizations, they might be reading something in literacy about ancient Egypt, or they might be reading something about the Roman Empire, or they might be reading something about the birth of America and how our country came to be. Um, And so it's integrating the literacy into project. Um, Same thing with a journal prompt. You know, their journal prompt might be related to project instead of just being a random prompt that was Mm -hmm. found somewhere in a curriculum. you know, one example of a project that our students did was called Making Waves with Mindfulness. And this was a kindergarten and first grade class. And they were learning about um, science, like uh, science concepts of, you know, light reflection and sound waves and how these things affect us and how we hear sound and um, and combining that with mindfulness. So how does it make us feel when we see different colors or when we hear different sounds? How can we change the environment by changing the way it looks or the things around us? Um, and then all of the students chose something within that realm to create for their exhibition day. Um, and so we had a student that created a light box that had you know, a square in the top and then a mirror that reflected light inside the box. It was a solar light. It had to be outside in the sun. And then you Mm -hmm. looked in the side and you could see different shapes and lights and refractions inside the box. We had a student do different sound cubes. And so we put something different in each of the cubes and he created a game where you had to shake them and try and figure out what was inside the cube based on the sound that it made. Um, We had a student do waves in bottles. So taking... I think it was dish soap and water or vinegar and water and food coloring and creating two different levels and seeing how the wave travels within the bottle back and forth when you move it around um, to simulate, you know, not only the ocean and the waves and the other ways that waves are involved in the world, um, but also simulating what a sound wave or what, you know, a a light wave might look like. Uh, We had students teach yoga We had a student turn one of our rooms into a full glow room. He wrapped everything in black paper and brought in black lights and saw how a different type of light reflects different types of colors in different ways. Um, And so bringing all of these things together um, to really create a project and an experience where students not only see, okay, so light moves in waves and Maybe they do a mystery science where they create a prism that reflects light and they get to see light turn into a rainbow. And that's super cool. And that's one activity. And back to your question about definitions, oftentimes Mm -hmm. that's what schools will call project-based learning. Oh, we did a project today. We looked at how light comes through a prism. Cool. Yeah. That like that's active and it's experiential and students are going to remember it. Like that is good. And that is a great way to begin a journey into project-based learning for a teacher or a school that hasn't done it before is using Mm -hmm. those sorts of activities. Like a Um, short-term thing as opposed to a longer-term? Yeah, we look at Mm. it as kind of activities versus projects. Oh, I see what you're saying, yeah. A a lot of schools will call a hands-on activity a project. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're looking at project as deep dive conceptual learning over time that's going Mm -hmm. to incorporate a number of different activities, um, as well as different experiences out in the world, different field trips, hearing from different experts, maybe connecting with a business or a person who does that thing in the world to share their knowledge and help out on the project. Um, Yeah, we've done that with a couple of other projects and we're continuing to do that and see how we can build an education ecosystem and community outside of the walls of the school. Um, Yeah. But how, like, how do you create that experience for students where they're really getting 
deep knowledge and able to figure out where their area of interest is within that concept that you're exploring. Yeah. That the whole idea of partnerships, I mean, even professionally, like that is one thing that, that I felt like I had to learn when it's, you know, you learn how to do the research or, you know, read or write or do all, go through the process yourself. But if you really want to get things done, you do have to know how to find resources and network and all of the soft skills that you are kind of expected to learn implicitly. And it's hard to know how to do that. So, I mean, just figuring, giving kids the opportunity to do that when they're younger. So I'm curious of a couple things, you know, some, some hot button topics. So things like, um, homework policies, and then also just tying in the, uh, I guess more traditional things or things that sometimes seem a little bit repetitive and boring where it's, you know, kind of that balance between internal and external motivation. Um, I'll ask the homework question first. So I think that, you know, there's, there's a debate on, is it useful? And, and my theory is that when it's not useful, it's, it's not necessarily that homework is bad or having to think about things outside of school is bad. It's more about the activities and what they're being asked to do is not necessarily strategic. And so I'm wondering how the, the concept of this ongoing project can fit into just the long-term planning of something or how you think about homework. Um, because I always wonder like, Obviously, if you have kids just do random busy work and that's homework, that's not super useful. But if they have this ongoing project and maybe uh, a kid decides, oh, well, when I'm home today, I can go and think about my project. And maybe there's an opportunity there um, for them to just choose to to do things outside of school if they want to, because they know it's going to move their project forward. So I love to just hear your thoughts on that and how you've seen it play out with your students. Yeah. So the short answer is we don't believe in homework. Um, most of it, like you said, is busy work. Mm -hmm. Most of the research doesn't support that it actually helps move learning forward. Um, and especially when we're looking at young children and we look at the neuroscience of how we learn, um, young children integrate their learning through play and mm -hmm. through movement and through imaginary play. And they need to have time to do that. Um, and so especially in an elementary age, it's much more beneficial to their learning if they go home and go to the playground or they mm -hmm. go home and play yeah. with their imaginary play set, whatever it is, if it's dolls or for my daughter, it was horses or for my son, it was his soccer guys, like whatever their downtime imaginary play is, is much more beneficial to their brain development and their learning than going home and doing worksheets of homework. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that being said, as our students get older, we do ask that they read 30 minutes at night, mm -hmm. um, any sort of reading material, whatever they're reading for pleasure, uh, because that enhances their, you know, their reading and their writing mm -hmm. and their love of learning and their exploration into books and adventure and other worlds that, you know, are imaginary uh, within the pages of a book. And so we do ask them to do that. To your point, we have definitely had students who get super excited about their project and go home and work on their own building a thing or creating a thing or writing a story or building a stop motion video or mm -hmm. whatever their passion is that they get really excited about the topics and the concepts they're learning and they go do that at home. And of course, we encourage that. And that is great and amazing. And we love that they're excited about their learning because that's the whole point. Mm -hmm. Um but it's not, it's not ever assigned. Um, I guess one exception to that has been when we were looking at the solar system and stars and we were learning about the phases of the moon and we did give them calendars and had them go home and draw the moon every night because that's a thing that we just can't do every day at school. <laughs> like, yeah. The moon's not out during the day every day. Um, so that was homework. Uh, and then as we move into middle school, we're taking a lot of the same approach. So one of the great things about project-based learning is that it can also be used to build executive functioning skills. Yeah, It can be used to plan a project out. It can be used to look at milestones. 
it can be used to look at how we use our time throughout the day. Mm-hmm. So as we're launching a middle school, you know, we have the opportunity to create a schedule from scratch and create a school and a methodology from scratch again, which is super fun. Uh, and so we've put in a lot of time in that daily schedule for project time, for flex time, for study lab time, so that our students can start to work through, okay, I've got to finish you know, these units in my math Desmos program before Friday, how can I get that done within the flex time and study lab time that I have? Mm -hmm. I've got to read these two chapters coming up in the book we're doing for literature. How can I fit that in? I'm super excited about the project that we're doing. And I have four hours of project time to work on that at school. What milestones am I going to hit? And if I finish that in hour three, then I can use that other time to finish up these other things that I need to get done for my other coursework, or I can continue pushing forward because it's super fun and exciting and I can keep up on my other things other ways. Um, So coming into middle school, students may have time that they may need to take home homework, Mm -hmm. um, but part of that is really up to how they manage their time in the school day, uh, because we believe that part of building, you know, part of building executive functioning skills and part of building functional, mentally healthy students and people is helping them work through how to do that in a healthy way so that they're not up till midnight doing homework because a 12 year old shouldn't be sitting up in their bed until midnight doing homework. They should be getting eight to 10 hours of sleep at a minimum every night. And Mm -hmm. so the school day, if those are things we want students to accomplish within the school day, we need to give them time and support them and teach them how to manage their time to be able to do that well. So going back to the really short answer, we don't really believe in homework. I like, I mean, I like (laughs) how you explain that though, because it's like, it's what's the end goal and how does it make sense to plan this and fit the right activities in the right place where it makes sense. And if, if it makes sense to do this during this time period that's in school, or it makes sense to do some of it outside of, of school, then it's, it's driven by the goal. It's not driven by we're supposed to have homework for 40 minutes or whatever it is. It's like, it's, it seems like you're kind of more clear on what your end outcome is and what's, what's the point. I mean, I guess that's always my question is, What's the point and what skills do kids need to practice in order to get them to be successful adults? And where do we fit that in and how does it look? Like, to me, that's almost even a better question of should we do homework or not? I mean, that's it's kind of a superficial question. I know it comes up a lot. So I always love to hear different ways that it's it's being done. And out in the Midwest, there are, I would say that they are kind of going towards that model where it's. Well, we're not going to assign homework, but but you should be reading. Like it's a good habit to get into. I mean, I always like the idea of of kids thinking about like what what do I have to do, and you know what kinds of things do I need to think about in my schedule today, and you know what do I need to think about when I get home, and um, what do I need to think about at school over the next week? Like you said, building the building the planning skills. Like, as you mentioned, everything that we do isn't designed by this is the rule and the regulation. It's not, we need to have this many hours of seat time. It's not, we need to have this many days of the school day. It's what is the, what is the goal and what is the outcome? And like I mentioned from designing the school at the very beginning, coming in, not having a background in education, like we designed it to be student centered. We designed it to support what the students need. Mm -hmm. Um, And we see that same you know, that's that same philosophy through our homework policy, through building a middle school, through how do we really give kids the knowledge, the skills and the experiences that they need to be successful? Yeah. Taking it into another context and, you know, seeing how it applies to school. So um, my my husband used to be a youth soccer coach. And so it's, you know, elementary school girls. And so in soccer, you know, you have these basic skills, you need to know how to handle the ball, you need to know how to do do your touches and pat, you know, connect to pass. And that work requires some drills that aren't super fun. Um, but the, the fun thing that you also need to know how to do in order to um, have strategy and positioning and know how to apply those skills is that at practice, you need to scrimmage. 
But the girls would always be like, why can't we just scrimmage the whole time? And he'd always be like, well, we have to do these drills that aren't super fun because they support your ability to do this other thing. So it was that nice blend of here are the foundational skills, but then here is this opportunity to apply in scrimmage. So to me, I see a lot of parallels in education with the whole idea of, yes, there are foundational skills. Sometimes they're hard and not always don't offer that immediate gratification, but they help you to do this other thing that we also need to focus on, which is the application piece. So I'm wondering like what you've seen in students' ability to sort of see the connection between the two and build that internal motivation once you once you give them good opportunities to to do both of those things. So my husband also coaches soccer. Both my kids play. Um, and there's a number, you know, the number of times that he's seen kids come in who have played for years, who don't have those foundational skills. They can't kick a ball. They're still Mm -hmm. kicking it with their toes. They Mm -hmm. don't know how to pick their head up and dribble at the same time. Like they haven't been given the time to build those experiences and that muscle memory so that when it comes down to it Mm -hmm. in a game, they can easily call it up, rely on it and use it. Uh, And so- (laughs) how do we create that in schools or, you know, what are we looking for? And part of it goes back to, you know, where we started with the conversation, like you're, you need the basics of reading, writing, and arithmetic. Um, But without homework and the repetition of worksheets consistently, how do we build the, in the quote unquote muscle memory of those core skills so that we can call on them when we use them? I think that's kind of what you were asking. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) And how do we help kids Um, see that you know, this thing isn't super fun, but it is going to help me do this other thing over here. You know, like just the yeah the resilience to things that that take a long time and take patience. And that's a great word, because part of it is how do we build the resilience and the grit in our students so that they are able to work through and complete those things that aren't fun and that they don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's an ongoing question from parents and an ongoing thing from students, definitely. Um, And part of it for us is, you know, first, how do you make it a little bit more fun? And we do that a lot by making it relevant to the projects that we're working Mm on. Like you need to learn this math, these math measurement skills, because we're actually going to go over to the new school and we're going to measure the environment because you're going to create the space and we're going to do it on graph paper. And so you need to know how many feet are across this room so you can count it out on graph paper so that you can design accurately so that when we mm-hmm. go to put a couch and a chair and a table and six plants and a lamp in there, it actually all fits because we measured it. Yeah. Um, so how do you take the things that you're u- doing in school and make them real world applicable um, as quickly as possible is one piece of that. Yep. Um you know, and another piece of that is sometimes we're just not going to like doing things, but we yeah. have to do them anyway. And that mm-hmm. that just is like, there's a lot of pieces of my job that I don't like doing and I have to do them anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so how do we work through that? And so that's working on our self-regulation and our self-awareness and our emotional development skills and our mental intelligence and acuity to be able to push through and try things that are challenging. Um And that's a really important thing to learn is that I can do hard things. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so helping students work through those things. But part of that sometimes is why is this hard? Mm. Is there something else that's going on? And what is our end goal? Like if we're doing a writing activity and a student doesn't want to write, is our goal actually the handwriting activity Is our goal the creativity that comes from the journal prompt to see what the student can come up with in their imagination? Is our goal to see if they can complete a five paragraph essay of fluid through thought? And so if our goal is actually handwriting out that paragraph, because we're building hand skills, we're learning cursive, we're working on our letter formation, whatever the reason is, Mm -hmm. then yeah, we need to do that. But if our goal is to inspire the creativity of a journal prompt, well, do we need to do that handwriting? Like, is there another way that we can make this accessible and enjoyable for this student to get to our end goal of what we wanted from 
that lesson or that piece yeah. and also allow it to be a better experience for the student. Because adults, we do these things all the time, right? If I have a thing that I don't really want to work on, I move to a space that's more comfortable and an environment that's more enjoyable. So now I've like shifted my mindset into, okay, this is going to be nice because I'm in a better space. And so I can dig in on the thing that I don't want to do. Yeah. And so how can we help create that for our students too? Like, yes, this is going to be hard for you. Well, what can we do to make it better? Maybe it's a space. Maybe it's typing instead of writing. Maybe it's dictating the ideas and letting someone else write or using a voice to text. M you know, maybe it's actually, yes, we do need to handwrite this and we need to handwrite it for reasons X, Y, Z. Um, but then what other things can we do to make it interesting? You know, are we doing it on then our project? So it is relevant to the world around us. Mm -hmm. I think there's lots of little things that we can do as educators and teachers to, for lack of a better word, reduce the pain yeah. <laughs> of, of, of having our students do those things, because there are a lot of necessary things that we just need to do and we need to learn and you get better by practice. You know, you're not going to learn to run around the field and dribble the ball unless you run around the field and dribble the ball. Like my, <laughs> my husband has a business book that's like, you can't learn to ride a bicycle in a seminar, right? You mm -hmm. can't just read a book and then go out and ride a bike. It doesn't work that way. You have to practice those skills, mm -hmm. but how can we do it in ways that are relevant and engaging or even just make it more accessible so that we're getting at the heart and the core of what we want from the student without necessarily creating other undue stress. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think what you just said there, um, why is this hard? Like what's going, even just what's going on here? What can I do? What are, what are my options here? Um, and that is just, you know, instead of just stopping or not doing it, just giving kids the practice of asking the question and just engaging in that dialogue with themselves is really important because, and, and of course, as the, as the person, you know, as the adult supporting them, giving them the options and resources that they can look at and utilize during that situation. So I know we could just keep going on about this for a long time, but I know that, um, we want to make sure that people know where to reach out to you and learn more about what you do. So uh, you shared a little bit earlier on, but where can people go to learn more about your work and how to connect with you? Great. Yeah. Our school's website is upacademysf.com. Uh, you can learn more about our professional development and access our project library on rebeleducator.com. You can learn more about our literacy and project-based learning curriculum and becoming an affiliate Up Academy school on projectup.us. If you're looking specifically for me to reach out about speaking opportunities or other, other things that might come up, I have my own website of tanyasheckley.com. And one of the easiest ways to reach out is that I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So finding me on LinkedIn and messaging me there. Great. Well, thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you. This was a great conversation. You asked a lot of great questions and I yeah. hope it's valuable to, to listeners. I think it definitely will be. Thanks again. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to check the show notes for all the places you can go to connect with Tanya. To learn more about the School of Clinical Leadership, my program that helps related service providers design services that support executive functioning in K-12 settings, you can go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash clinical leadership. If you have a suggestion for a guest, or if you would like to be a guest on the De Facto Leaders podcast, if you know someone, or if you are someone who has shown leadership in some way and are using your skills creatively to support K-12 kids, I'd love to hear from you. Just email me at talktome at drkarenspeech.com if you have a suggestion for a guest. As always, it helps me so much if you rate and review the De Facto Leaders podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you found this episode useful, please be sure to share it with a friend. 
Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next time.